Welcome in. Good to have you. Start of the week, and we got a lot to do today. And yes, we are talking Taylor Swift. And no, we're not talking about the Grammys. I thought it was my wife asked me last night. She's like, you want to watch the Grammys? And I'm like, okay. So we watched, and it was this is not my bag, but that's okay. Uh, Marie Osborne said it was very good. Uh, a lot of folks have said they enjoyed it, so that was good. Um, but I've got a different angle to to the Taylor Swift issue because the 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 more popular she gets, the more people hop on the the Swifty bandwagon, and there is a tremendous groundswell behind Taylor Swift. And I say that as somebody who loves music, somebody who really gets into the weeds music. And I think, I don't know that we've seen the type of fandom of of the Swifties. And part of that, look, this isn't saying that the, the you know, the British invasion when the, Eagle, the, the, the Beatles came over to the United States, it was pandemonium. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this, this cult-like fandom of a of an artist. It is it's unbelievable the type of gravitational pull that Taylor Swift has. There's a number out, a new study that shows double digits that depending on who Taylor Swift votes for or would endorse as a presidential candidate, um the this percentage, almost 20% of the American voting public would vote for that candidate simply because Taylor Swift would vote for them too. I mean, it is a staggering number. Now, I I have a little more uh, analysis, in-depth thought on that. I want your calls on it. We'll do that coming up uh, at uh, 2.35. We've got um, a a, a slightly different topic on the Taylor Swift angle coming up at 2.18. But it's, it's a fascinating look on this person. So we'll do that as well. Also, Donald Trump, late last week, meeting with the Teamsters Union. He's trying to cut into what is perceived to be a democratic stronghold in inside these unions. Um, Joe Biden got 55-ish percent in 2020 of union votes. Um, still a large number of votes went to, to Donald Trump. And I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that that may flip this election just because an overall body uh, in backs a candidate, endorses a candidate, doesn't mean that the entire uh, the entire union membership would would vote that way. But Donald Trump is trying to cut into this base, so he's met with the Teamsters. Says it was a very productive meeting, and he did acknowledge that because unions typically back Democrats, that it would be an uphill climb. But he said stranger things have happened. And it sounds like the pitch is he's going to go in and say, what have, what have the Democrats really done for you? What have they done? And whether that's right, wrong, or indifferent, Democrats would tell you in places like Michigan, where they eliminated right to work, they're making union work stronger, that that's what they've done. They're, they're putting the onus back on the workers inside the union to get on board and be a part of the union. So Donald Trump is looking to 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 cut into that base, which I think is quite interesting and may have an interesting 
twist on this election if he's able to sway more of those union leaders, union workers, the rank and file. Um, Also, we will be talking to Dearborn Mayor Abdullah Hamoud later on today in the three o'clock hour because there was a piece posted in the Wall Street Journal and it has angered many inside Dearborn. The title, Welcome to Dearborn, America's Jihad Capital. And Stephen Stolansky, the author of this piece, went on and cited numerous cases where um, Muslim leaders inside Dearborn have uh, used social media or used their congregations in a way that that would promote jihad or or look upon what Hamas did on o- October 7th in, in glowing terms. Um, but I, I think that there is, when you post something like this and you post this type of opinion, there is an inherent risk and danger when you paint everybody with a broad brush. I detest that type of, of, of attitude towards anything. Nothing is absolute. Just because a city is home to a a population of Arab Americans or Muslim Americans, I don't, it's hard to say that everybody is on that same page. So we'll talk about that uh, coming up as well, because I, I think that when you consider the, the type of damage that could be done with that, um, it could be pretty severe. So we'll talk to the mayor um, as well. Also, Panthers releasing their uh, schedule for this upcoming season, the Michigan Panthers, the USFL and the XFL combining. We'll talk to head coach Mike Nolan uh, later on in the hour as well. Uh, also an interesting story in the Detroit News where uh, uh, several different police municipalities are weighing whether or not they should purchase electric vehicles uh, for patrol vehicles, patrol cruisers. Um, And there is maybe uh, some effort by automakers to make it incentivize for uh, police agencies to get into the EV market and start rolling out EV uh, police cruisers. Um, And while it it might make sense for a few, um, there are others, experts, legal experts, law experts, that say this type of technology may not be exactly what they need. Uh, you, You talk about the weight of the vehicles. You talk about some of the maneuvering that they need to do as police uh, officers, some of the the maneuvers they may need to engage in might not be ideal with an electric vehicle. But you're talking about potentially a cost saving to to uh, police agencies, cutting down on the price of gasoline, uh, using uh, uh, electricity to power your vehicles, which, which is pretty interesting. But the Ford Mach-E, uh, there are several, I believe, that are in circulation in police departments across the state of Michigan. Um, which is pretty interesting. And all of this comes as the governor in her state of the state address um, talked about more incentives to to purchasing EV vehicles, specifically if they've been made by union workers here in the state of Michigan. Um, And it also jives with the executive order that she had signed uh, to convert state government vehicles to zero emissions by 2040. So another 16 years, and and you'll have all EVs at the state level as well. 
Um, but I, I'm just not entirely sure that that is a technology yet that police are ready to embrace. I think that there's still too many obstacles and hurdles for them to dip their toes into the EV marketplace. But it'll be very interesting to see how that evolves over the years as more become available, as the price drops. I mean, you see the the consumer demand isn't there yet from from a from a public perspective. But maybe there is an opportunity for police departments to get better deals on EVs uh, for their police fleet. And, and maybe that's uh, it could be an avenue that they choose to, to travel down. Uh, all right, we got to take a break. Uh, will Taylor Swift's endorsement sway voters if she even decides to endorse a candidate? I, I got you know, spoiler alert. I, ain't, I can't imagine she's going to endorse Donald Trump. But is that enough to swing an election? The Taylor Swift gravitational pull is it enough to sway voters? That's next on JR Afternoon. Look, I I just liken Taylor Swift. She is a supernova. She has her own gravitational pull. I mean, the, the type of following the, the absolute, the absoluteness of her fans, it's, it's remarkable. Look, I'm not, the Beatles, when they came to America, was unbelievable, right? The, the footage, the hysteria, all real. Because, well, they're from across the pond, and, and, they had already built a following, and then when they get here, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're here. This is unbelievable. But the type of fan base that Taylor Swift has, they are so loyal. They are there's a, It's a fever pitch with her. And so there was a study done that said 18% of the voting population would vote based on Taylor Swift uh, and, and the endorsement of a presidential candidate. Now, look, she ain't going to endorse Donald Trump. But is that, I mean, to me, that's an unbelievable t- statistic. And while I think Democrats are just begging for a Taylor Swift endorsement, um, there could be some backfire from that. What does that look like? Washington Post political reporter uh, for Style, Kara Vote joins us. Kara, it's good to have you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I think this piece you you wrote was really well done. Um, this this connection that Taylor Swift has to her fans is is remarkable. I don't liken it to anything that we've seen specifically in music, but in terms of how bad those in the Democratic political circle are are hoping for an endorsement or hoping for her to weigh in on this, how how badly are are they trying to get? Taylor Swift to weigh in on this thing? It's an interesting question because there's a couple of dynamics at play. On the one hand, Democrats recognize that no one has a platform like Taylor Swift. She has, I think it's like 265 million or something followers on Instagram. She has you know, tens of millions of followers on Twitter or X whatever she says um, gets amplified by every news organization in the country. And so there's a real reach to her that is just so unbelievably intoxicating, especially given the fact that she has in the last five years clarified that she's a Democrat, that she, especially on matters, women's rights, reproductive rights, gay rights, that she's very much in alignment with Democratic Party. 
and so there's something there to the synergy that that folks think that she could bring to something like an endorsement of President Biden or or of the party writ large. On the other hand, there's a real delicate balance that has to happen because above all, Democrats know that nothing that Taylor does for them can come across as calculated or inauthentic. They want her to act on their own. And so while they're definitely excited about the prospect of what Taylor could do, they don't want to seem too overeager for it. They want to kind of try to play it cool. Um, and that way, it seems like whatever Taylor does, she really means it herself. And that is more motivating to her fans than anything that seems like, oh, I'm doing it because Democrats want me to. I, I want you to kind of go back in the time machine here a little bit, because this if she were to get involved in this presidential election one way or the other, um, it's it wouldn't be the first time that she's dabbled in politics back in. What was it? 2018. Uh, she was publicly supporting Phil Bredesen, who was the former governor of Tennessee, which is her home state, uh, who was going up against. Um, Marsha Blackburn, the senator from Tennessee. And and she just said, look, I want to vote for women. I want to support women, but I can't vote for Marsha Blackburn. Um, and she openly supported Bredesen. Uh, Blackburn, of course, was reelected. But her star has grown exponentially over the last six years, six plus years. How How is it different uh, now as opposed to maybe 2018? There are a couple of things that are different. I mean, one, you said it yourself. I said it earlier. Her, she's just so many more people paying attention to her at this point in time. Um, and so that's, that's a huge factor, just everything she does under a microscope, um, the good, the bad, the ugly. Two, um, I think that in terms of um, the actual endorsement she did back in 2018 and again in 2020 for President Biden, she endorsed both President Biden and Vice President Harris. Um, it was still kind of new and shocking back then that she was getting involved in politics. 2020 was only her second election to talk about voting openly. Um, 2018 was the first. Part of me wonders if, if we'll pay as close attention to what she says in some respects, because it won't be new or different, but because there's so much thirst for Taylor content right now, I'd imagine anything she says in the same way, you know, anything she says about music or her friends or her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, it's all under a microscope. I imagine we'll focus on it quite a bit. Um, but you know, really, it is just the fact that she is an absolute, I think you used the word supernova. I couldn't agree more. She's an absolute supernova. Everything she does has such an impact everywhere she goes. So, I mean, you brought up the NFL. I mean, heck, they made $350 million uh, on the NFL more than they did this year and last year just because Taylor Swift was at a football game. I mean, it is, it's stunning. Uh, her her influence on pop culture, her, inf- her influence on her fans. I, I mentioned the the number of voters in the United States almost twenty percent would would basically support a candidate that she endorsed. Do you believe that? Do you feel like there's validity to that, or do you feel like that's a bit overblown? I don't believe that, um, and here's the reason why. I think that a lot of people who are Taylor Swift fans, um, a lot of them do align with her values. I mean, that's how fandom works, right? Sometimes we are fans of someone because they say something or behave a way that resonates with us. Um, and so I think that anyone who's a Taylor Swift fan, um, you might expect them to not be turned off by the fact that she's uh, a Democrat at the very least. Um, she had a big music video in 2019 for her song, You Need to Calm Down. It was an homage to LBGTQ rights. At the end of it, there was a call for people to sign a petition 
to support the passage of the Equality Act, which would extend civil rights to um, LGBTQ folks in America. So, so there's all of that to consider. That that I would imagine that from and what I reported too is that her fan base does tend to kind of be you know a little bit at least. A, somewhat aligned with her values. On the other hand, people, you know, Republicans, I talked to this one one great uh, Republican woman in my story, this quote didn't make it in, but one thing she said was, you know, if I only listened to musicians who didn't agree with my politics, I wouldn't have any musicians left. Sure. You know, there is a real liberalness to, to folks in Hollywood. Um, and for a lot of people who are Taylor Swift fans who aren't Democrats, who don't like her politics, they've already kind of made a decision about that. They're like, you know what? I love her. I love what she does. She's so fun. I love the sequins. I love the songs. Um, but but she can't influence me in this way. And so I think that, just to make a long story short, I think that anything that she does politically, she can motivate people who are aligned with her. I think that's what the Biden campaign wants. They think of her as someone with an endorsement in October, maybe, of 2024 that could really activate folks who are already kind of on their side or you forgot to register to vote or forgot when voting is they might go to the polls but they don't see her being a persuasion sort of surrogate for them so this isn't an ace in a hole uh, for them you don't think mm. no i don't think so i don't think anyone will change their mind based on taylor swift so i think they might get out and vote because taylor swift reminded them to you know like in the grammys last night snead o'connor was was honored she was a outspoken activist on a number of issues you know, a lot of uh, uh, musicians, actors have been outspoken. It's I just find it very um, it's it's incredibly staggering how different Taylor Swift is. She has beliefs. She has been outspoken on a number of issues, but uh, seemingly no celebrity before her has had the type of pull amongst their fans quite like Taylor Swift. Kara, uh, vote. Good stuff. Thank you for your time and insight. Really appreciate uh, the chat. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Yeah, you got it. That's Kara Vote of the Washington Post. Uh, I want to get your calls on this because, look, we're not just talking about Taylor Swift and whatever. There is a there is a distinct advantage that her weighing in on this presidential election could sway things. Is that something you see happening and pros and cons to it? 800-859-0957. More next on JR Afternoon. All right. Here's my take on the Taylor Swift thing, all right? And I don't, I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble or not, but I... I have a hard time not believing that a group, a, a huge majority of her fans would vote for somebody she is voting for. They do borderline everything that she does. I mean, it, it is really remarkable. And I, I don't, I mean, think of any celebrity ever that has had the type of pull over her fans that Taylor Swift has. It is absolutely remarkable. She has a gravitational pull. She has, I mean, the, the, there is a, 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 like a marketable, just money machine behind her. I mean, the, the economic impact. Danielle, do you off the top of your head? Because I don't. Remember the economic impact to the city of Detroit when she was here? Do you remember what it was off the top of your head? No, I don't remember. I mean, was it like $200 million it or something? like something insane. Insane. Brian, find, just find that number for me. Because it is shocking. It is shocking the, the pull that she has. Now, again, find me a celebrity that had, has had that type of pull in the past. Zero. There, there, is, there is none. So, with that being said, the problem that I find with people who are in that type of group is that it's groupthink. 
ah, Taylor's doing it. I'm a Swifty. I might as well vote for Joe, too. Look, you vote for whoever you want based on whatever you want. I'm not here to change your mind. I just think that there is a certain element of people that don't do their due diligence, that only look at what Taylor Swift's doing, and and away we go. Now, I use the Marsha Blackburn as a as a rebuttal to my argument because back when Marsha Blackburn in 2018 was was up for uh was was up for re-election and Taylor Swift was backing her opponent, the former governor of Tennessee in Phil Bredesen. Um Bredesen lost, Marsha Blackburn was re-elected and away we go. But, but that was 2016. I mean the 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 world of Taylor Swift has evolved beyond what it would it what anybody could have imagined, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so it's five billion for the US. Five billion for the US. Yes. All right. I think there was a number for Michigan locally, Detroit locally, but whatever. I mean, it's insane. It is absolutely insane. The economic driver that is Taylor Swift. So my question to you is. In the study that showed that 18% of voters, not Taylor Swift fans, 18% of the voting population in the United States would vote for a presidential candidate because Taylor Swift endorsed them or is voting for them herself. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Dave in Rochester kicks things off today. Hello, David. Dave? All right, let's throw Dave on hold. We'll try to reconnect with him. Rod's in Plymouth. Hello, Rod. Hey, Chris. You know, about 40 years ago, I, I listened to a set of tapes, and I noticed that Tobin, uh, Tony Robbins is on within one of your commercials, but these tapes are called Personal Power. And in there, he said, people who like each other tend to be like each other. So as long as we ed- we can educate and get to Taylor Swift, you know, maybe we uh, will get those votes. Well, I mean, look, they, there is, I mean, her fans are, I mean, they're, I don't, I'm not trying to be like, uh, I mean, they are, they're sycophants. They absolutely adore her, which is great. That's like everything you dream of when you want to be an artist. When you, when you're trying to be a musician, you want fans, you want people to love you. It is stunning, really, the way that they take to her and the, and the impact that she has on them. I mean, look, just this year, so she's dating uh, Travis Kelsey, right? in the NFL for the Kansas City Chiefs. The the NFL made an additional $350 million this year just because she was attending games. That's shocking. So, I mean, her pull is so much more than music. It's so much more than politics. I mean, it transcends different, different industries. Charlie's in Clarkson. What's up, Charlie? Hey, Chris. I own a advertising and marketing agency, been in business 54 years. You know who I am. But anyway, this is nothing more than a marketing technique. We use it all the time. It's called endorsement advertising. Mm -hmm. And the reason that Taylor Swift, other than being very talented and having a following, there is a new thing going on that has never happened before, and that is that legalizing dope in America or in states has made something happen that has never happened before. I hang out with the millennials in disease quite a bit, okay? Every one, not everyone, I would say 80% of them are smoking dope. 
and you can call it whatever you want. And and the whole thing is keep them high, keep them happy. They relate to this situation. Yeah, sure, sure. Being happy sure, thank is you, where they're uh, at. I'm not, I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure what one has to do with the other. I mean, these are this isn't the Grateful Dead. These are Taylor Swift fans. So, I mean... I think Taylor Danielle Taylor Swift has a a a, a reputation of being clean, right? <laughs> Big reputation. I don't know what that Big means. Big reputation. Is that a song? Okay, tremendous. Is she a, she's a clean artist? She's like a Gene Simmons. She's yeah, she's clean. <laughs> she doesn't do drugs she or she doesn't drink song, or she has a song named Clean. No, she I, definitely yeah, I don't know drinks. About it. Oh, she, she does. Yeah, okay. she likes some wine. All right, but she doesn't smoke pot. No. I mean, publicly. No. So I, I don't think that's it. I, I, don't, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think there is a marketing ploy behind her. Right? Absolutely. They're marketing her. She's very marketable. Uh, and, and that's obviously worked for a lot of folks. Mary is in Southgate. Hello, Mary. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? I, we got you loud and clear. What can we do for you? So there was a supernova. All right. And his name was Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. And when he was asked about his political views, he said, look, I'm an entertainer. My political views are my own, and I suggest you do the same. Yeah, I, and, and, that's, and that's the way it should be, I believe. I mean, there, there, is, I mean, there is a thing with, with like, uh, I'll give you a story, Mary. I went to a U2 concert a number of years ago. This is probably, geez, 15 years ago or so. They were playing Spartan Stadium, as a matter of fact. And... Um, I was excited. I uh, got tickets. They were kind of expensive for me at the time, but I wanted to go see them. So I went and saw them. And look, Bono is an open activist. This is somebody that that raises money for, you know, kids and underserved communities around the world, the whole deal. So I'm sitting in my seats before the show starts, and there's people walking around with iPads asking you to donate. Then Bono gets up on stage and starts talking about why people need to donate. And if you want to donate, there'll be iPads waiting for you at the door on the way out. I mean, it was nonsense. It's like, first of all, I don't have any, I I just want you to do your thing. I came here to see your music because I like you. I want you to do that. And then on the way, I mean, dude, you're the ones that set these ticket prices. I already spent a lot of money to come see you. What, what do you want me to do? Like, you're, you're the guy who's making all the money. I encourage you to spend it however you like. So I think there is something to be said about artists that are, look, um, I have my beliefs. I think you should have your beliefs, and away you go. But I don't know that that's necessarily the case here with Taylor Swift. Um, she has been open about political issues in the past and how that impacts this potential election. We'll see. But if she comes out and backs Joe Biden, I think it will have – um, I think it will have some sort of impact, certainly. Uh, real quick, Bob in Dearborn, and we got to take a break. What's up, Bobby? You know, just just thinking, when the Beatles came here, I was around in 64. Yep. And you couldn't vote. You, you had to be 21 to vote. Sure. And the 21-year-olds were not following and listening. But people did listen to Frank Sinatra when he was out talking with President Kennedy. You know, the, the followers were different then, different ages. Yeah, that's, that's true. What I want to say. No, that, and that's a fair point. I, I just mean in terms of the star, in terms of who the the artist is that has such influence over their base. I mean, Taylor Swift is is either at the top or very very near the top in terms of the influence that they have over their fans. Bob, I appreciate the call. Got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. All right, back to your calls, your texts coming up momentarily.
the Taylor Swift phenomenon is it's a thing, and I think it's going to play an impact as we get closer towards the election uh, later this year. Uh, in the meantime, the Michigan Panthers back at Ford Field for a second time in the last two years as the UFL kicks off uh, in just a couple of months and uh, a whole new host of teams that you'll see uh, certainly uh, down at Ford Field. Mike Nolan, the head coach of the Michigan Panthers, joins us. Mike, it's good to have you back. Thanks. It's great to be back. Looking forward to it. Uh, this is going to be um, a different season for you guys. Obviously, some new teams on the slate. Um, what did you make of the the schedule release? Um, well, I'm just glad we're one of the eight teams. That's what I'll say. So. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, it's uh, it's a good schedule. You know, it's um, you know, there's only eight teams. We're going to play our division, the USFL, twice, and then we'll play the XFL teams once. Um, we'll travel, you know, we'll, we're going to be based in Arlington, everyone in this first year, they kind of want to start out, you know, crawling as they call it and then yep. pick up the pace as we go. But anyhow, so we'll be traveling each week. Um, the only, I guess we'll bus for a couple games. that will be close by like Houston and San Antonio. Mm -hmm. uh, but outside of that, we'll be traveling each week. So there'll be some travel for the players, but, uh, again, eight weeks and then to a playoff in the championship week, you know, that shouldn't be. That's your, that doesn't wear on you much. That's still good. How, how does the how does the league change? Do you think with the addition of the XFL teams? I think there's a great change in the fact that that there's 16 teams down to eight. So the talent level has even gotten better than it was. And I thought it was pretty good last year, considering it. You know, for what our purpose was, is trying mm -hmm. to get guys in the NFL. But it's you know every team basically uh, you could say has doubled their talent and. Uh, um, you know, with that being said, there's even better football than there was a year ago. And I thought we played pretty good football a year ago. So um, to me, that's that's how I see it. I'm really optimistic about it going forward. I think the spring spring league is going to be outstanding, the UFL, and it's just going to grow as, as we get going. Has there been any indication on rule changes? Because there was some differences between the XFL and the USFL and, and, it, and mostly just some subtle changes, particularly on uh, special teams plays and, and the like. Is, is there any... Uh, uh, sort of consolidation on those rule changes and 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 uh, maybe some a spattering from each league. Uh, yeah, they, we've kind of I think there's been a little bit of change from our USFL, but not drastic. For example, uh, well, we'll still kick off from the 20, so we'll do it. We'll do the kickoff our way, not their way. And I'm not totally familiar with what they did the XFL. I just know that it wasn't quite like what we did. So they'll do it like we did, kicking off from the 20. Which, you know, as everyone knows, basically your team after a kickoff, if they give it up a score, you're going to have pretty good field position because kicking off, when you have to kick off from the 20, most people, I think the average starting point was pretty close to the 40-yard line, if not like the high 30s or somewhere in there. Um, but that was one. The other rule that uh, that's going to be was, uh, oh, it was the onside kick replacement or i think they call it a scrimmage onside kick mm -hmm. deal they're gonna it wasn't the 33 you had to get to the 45 now it's going to be the 28 and you got to get to the whatever it is the 40 yard line so uh there's still still going to be a fourth and 12 but they've moved the ball back a little bit um and uh for what reason i think it was a compromise with what mm -hmm. the you the xfl had done um, outside of that, I know there was one or two. Oh, we won't have PATs. It'll be a try. You'll have a uh, – the, there's no PAT. You can go for one, two, or three, just like we did a year ago, but the ball will be an offensive scrimmage play. Got it. So so that's um, – It's certainly more exciting for fans, I think, and even yeah. players. It's it's another thing they can put on tape. 
uh, certainly yeah. to, to try to get to the NFL, which is it's a huge goal uh, of, yeah. of spring football. In terms of being back at Ford Field, it was such a, a tremendous, I think, asset for for you na- last year. I, uh, I I know that you would have liked a different result, especially um, in that that uh, four game stretch uh, in the middle of the season. But but talk yeah. about being back at Ford Field and what, what that does for for the team. Well, we're certainly excited about it. We're really excited to be at Ford Field. I know there was a little holdup there for a while. They hadn't really come to an agreement until just recently as far as using the field. But um, our players love to play there. It's a real draw for people, not only uh, outside players coming to Michigan and playing at Ford Field, but just the fans that are there locally. Naturally, this time of year when we play, it gets a little cold, so it's nice of them to be indoors. Um, but uh, it's a great venue. Um, we're really excited to be able to play in there, and I think that goes for our fans would say exactly the same thing. And, uh, you know, look at down the stretch, they really helped us a lot. Our fans came alive, and, and I thought we did too. We faced some, you know, we started out fast with a couple wins, and then we got we had a bunch of injuries there in the middle there, and it slowed us down a little bit, but we got back on track. And, uh, again, I have to say that last game that we had to win against the Stars, that was largely due to our, our fans. They really got loud and noisy, and it really, it really became fun. And uh, anyhow, we won the game, and then uh, the next week, as, you, as you've already mentioned, we lost in double overtime to uh, Pittsburgh down in Kenton. But, uh, but still, great to be back at Ford Field, no question. So things kick off March 30th. Uh, how does the, the team look now? Are, are you re- relatively set? Is there still some tinkering to do with the roster? Where are you at in that process? Well, last year, the, the total roster you go to camp with was 60. This year, it's 75. So mm. we've enlarged the, the – uh, now, the team size will be 50 when we cut down, um, just like it was a year ago. But we're going to go to camp with, you know, with 15 more players than we did a year ago. So everyone's roster is much better – not much, but it's better than it was a year ago just because there was four teams that we – or I should say eight teams we drafted off of and took their players from them, the teams that were – terminated in the in the transition with the merger and all and uh, so again we have larger rosters right now we'll go to camp with more players we'll make a, a two cuts this year rather than just one we'll go down to 60 after a couple of weeks and then go down to 50 58 or so or whatever it is um, after that or go down to 58 then go down to 50 um, and uh, so right now the rosters look you know I, I think everyone's looking at the rosters thinking man we're so much better than last year but if you you know you got to be you got to be real about it everybody else is a little better too so sure uh, but it, that's but that's really fun that's exciting you know the more players we can that we can get that have a chance to go to the NFL the better for us well and the UFL obviously is is being backed by Fox being backed by ABC and so um, I, I think this does signal the fact that spring football is is in a really strong place, and and I I would imagine uh, we'll see some evolution uh, over the next couple of seasons as uh, as the UFL really sets in and 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 uh, puts the roots in place for a really strong league going into the future. Mike Dolan, always good to talk with you. Thanks for the time as always, and we'll talk again down the road. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to be on with you. Yep, you got it. That's Michigan Panthers head coach Mike Nolan here on JR Afternoon. Uh, always appreciate the time. Uh, in the meantime, we have calls set up. We're talking Taylor Swift, the type of impact that that she may have on this presidential election. Uh, I think it could be pretty substantial. Or or it could, you know, that, that 18% number where 18% of registered voters in the United States would vote for a presidential candidate based on a Taylor Swift nomination or, or excuse me, endorsement. Um, I, I, it might be a little overblown, but I think that there's a lot of people in this country that are set on doing the hard work 
they are set on digging into issues and really finding, you know, in, in some cases, the, the better of two evils or the better of two candidates that they don't particularly like as holes. Um, and then I think there's other p- folks that are that are willing to just go along with the ride. And, and that that is, in this case, the Taylor Swift experience. Dave's in Rochester. He joins us. Hello, David. We got him back. David, can you hear me? We yep. got you now. What's up, man? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's two buttons on your phone, one speaker and one mute. They <laughs> serve distinct different reasons. D- uh, different different on. reasons. I got just a minute here. What do you got? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I find it remarkable that you find it remarkable about Taylor Swift and this whole phenomenon you're describing. It's mm-hmm. called the personality. Okay. Let me go back to celebrity. Let's just go back eight years ago to the TV's, TV star. I think it was Apprentice, and ironically, Celebrity Apprentice is mm-hmm. Celebrity also, okay? Taylor Swift's got nothing on the on the nose ring this guy's got as far as a whole lot of, on the country, the followers who 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 well, walk over glass for him, who could shoot someone, yeah. who could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. My God, I know. this is nothing. D- Dave, I'm sorry I'm up against it. It's an interesting topic. We'll continue to discuss it as we continue on here on JR Afternoon. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back, 3 o'clock hour. You know, one of the other things that we are tracking this afternoon is jury deliberations underway in the Jennifer Crumbly case. And I think this is a very difficult spot for the jury to be in. And, I, you know, I was kind of taking a poll earlier today on where people thought this thing was going to end up. And I got to tell you, I get a very split reaction. Um... I have people on both sides thinking that this is a done deal, that, yep, she's going to get convicted, or, yep, she's going to be acquitted, or or there's going to be a hung jury, which is essentially, you know, she doesn't get convicted. I um, I just, I, I, to me, it feels like the burden of proof is too high. Um, I think Todd Flood, when we had Todd Flood, the, uh, uh, the attorney on, Late last week, I mean, he he felt like there was enough evidence that the jury could convict. But what's interesting is there was a couple of questions today that the jury had to ask the judge. One of the questions is, can we use information that wasn't provided in this trial as a as a as a reason to make our decision? And the judge said, absolutely not. You may only use the information that you heard in this trial. And look, this is this is the this is the the issue with, with such a high profile case is it's almost impossible for people to not hear the 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 news, the auxiliary noise around it. I mean, everybody's talking about it. If you don't watch the news, like let's say you're just somebody who lives in, you know, blissful ignorance and you don't watch the news, you don't listen to WJR, whatever. And I mean, that's chances are you heard it from somebody. I mean, it's 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 impossible to have the the type of story that we had coming out of Oxford, the horrific, tragic story, and not have any information surrounding it. And then you get into a case like this where, you know, this would set an incredible precedent. It wouldn't be applicable in every mass shooting case, but certainly it could be applied in some. And so I just I I feel like I, I'm not entirely sure that the prosecution provided enough of 
the necessary facts and information and evidence to prove guilt. Now, could you make the argument? Sure. From the outside, absolutely. But I, I, I really, I could see it both sides. I could see it going either direction. Um, and I, and I think that look, since Jennifer Crumbly's case is first, uh, I think that would have great impact over the James Crumbly case. It, it would be, it would be pretty difficult, I think, in terms of the overall structure of the prosecution or the overall defense, um, you know, it would be different. And, and it, but, but the, the, the nuts and bolts are going to be the same. The nuts and bolts are still going to be this guy was a part of the pair of parents that were, were negligent in this case. That they, they played a role in knowing that their son was troubled, in knowing that their son was, was in a place of vulnerability mentally, and he, he just snapped. And they knew it, and they could have done something about it, and they didn't. And that led to four people being killed, four students, children being murdered. And so I think that's certainly what the prosecution wants. I, defensively, I, I would imagine that James's defense is going to look at what Jennifer Crumbly got from Shannon Smith and say, um, let's change this up. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, but they are currently in deliberation. Um, uh, we've seen no white smoke as of yet this afternoon. No, no, Brian says. No, I've got so, the uh, feed on live. They're still showing old testimony. Okay, so we're we're still in a holding pattern. Um, but it it will th- this will be um, quite a you know a, a precedent setting I think case one way or the other, uh, depending on how this thing plays out. Um. In the meantime, Donald Trump late last week met with uh, Teamsters union representatives. Uh, and you go back and you look at, what was it, 56% of unions, union members uh, around the country in 2020 voted for Joe Biden. And Donald Trump is trying to to maintain that average of 44% or whatever it was Uh and, and hopefully bolster it. But Democrats or unions generally vote Democrat, right? As, a, as an entity, the, the rank and file, the members can vote however they want. Um, still relatively split 50-50, but Donald Trump even knows, I think he said, it's a long shot. You don't know what can happen when it comes to these, these unions, and maybe you get some votes out of it. But he's going to go in and say, realistically, um, I'm going to be more pro-worker. I'm going to be able to to leverage my background in construction and real estate and the hiring of union work and and leverage that to these union rank and file workers in, in hopes that he's able to sway some of these votes. Now, Joe Biden getting 56 percent of the union vote is to me, it, it feels a little light, feels like, you know, he still could have gotten a little more in 2020. So the fact that he only got 56% in my mind is pretty good. Uh, means that Donald Trump has a, a, an opening there, I believe. And so I, it, it's just another reason where Donald Trump is, is another avenue where Donald Trump is really going to have to try to make some some hay. He's going to have to try to get in there and and fight for as many votes as he can from the union. 
Uh, also, did you watch the Grammys last night, Brian? It was a a a, a big deal. I uh, it's just not for me. These shows. Uh, at one point, <laughs> at one point, they brought out like the head of the whatever the the Grammy uh, Academy or whatever it is, and uh, there was a four string quartet playing, and it kind of goes back to my analogy on U two that I used a couple of minutes ago, where it's like, dude, I came to see you play. Like I, I know that you have beliefs and that's great and I want you to do whatever you want to do, but I, I I'm I'm here to see you. And th- there was this this monologue, a speech by the the president of the Grammy Academy, uh, recording artists that, uh, uh, well, look at these people. Any killing of innocence is never okay. We cannot stand with it, one way or the other. And. You look at these folks, this four-string quartet, these these uh, instruments and these musicians are incredible by themselves, but you put them together and it's this beautiful symphony of music and noise. And, uh, and one's Palestinian, one is Jewish, one is uh, Arab, and, the, and it was just, it, it felt so forced. It takes me back, remember Ricky Gervais hosting the Golden Globes? And he's like, if you win your award, accept it. Get off the stage. You're in no position to lecture the public on anything important. <laughs> it really is how it felt. Um, but uh, Taylor Swift was a big winner last night, and it 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 brought up the topic of is Taylor Swift going to be in a position? Eighteen percent of the voting population said they would vote for somebody based on who Taylor Swift endorses. Could it play in? Could she have that type of effect? Something that we'll certainly see. Got to take a break. We'll talk in with the mayor of Dearborn next on JR Afternoon. You know, one of the benefits that I think we we have in this region that a lot of places don't. I mean, a lot of urban places do. A lot of metropolitan cities and locations do. But but we're we're very lucky to have a diverse a diverse population, and. And with that comes different beliefs, different ideologies. But we are, as a community, a very strong community. And when somebody comes after a member of our community, we, we don't generally take too kindly to it, especially here in, in Detroit, in Metro Detroit. Well, there was a Wall Street Journal uh, 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 op-ed that was published just a couple of days ago over the weekend. It was called Welcome to Dearborn, America's Jihad Capital. And... The byline underneath the title was imams and politicians in the Michigan city side with Hamas against Israel and Iran against the United States. And it has become a lightning rod, certainly for the people closest to it, specifically in the city of Dearborn, as the mayor of Dearborn, Abdullah Hamoud, joins us to to talk about this article. Mr. Mayor, it's good to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, what, what what was your initial reaction when you when you saw this article? When you read it, you had a moment to digest it. What was what was the initial reaction to this piece? You know, at first I was just you know uh, uh, enraged that this inflammatory rhetoric is still permissible in 2024. You know, I, I grew up in the post 9/11 era. This type of rhetoric is not new. And the unfortunate reality is Islamophobia has become an acceptable form of hate. And those who demonize or stereotype Muslims or Arab Americans have found larger platforms and greater notoriety. And we have to put an end to that. So the other uh, part of this is there were specific citations to uh, faith leaders in the community or members in the community. And 
Um, is there is there any sense from the the religious community in Dearborn that that this that this writer got it wrong that he didn't paint a fair representation of the city of Dearborn? You know, I think the fact that this writer understood very clearly that by calling uh, Dearborn what he did in the headline, he was basically trying to say that this is a a breeding ground for terrorism and so on and so forth. Um, and that's it's, it's just repulsive. And I don't know for what other community such a headline would be permissible or acceptable, or even the conversation would be, well, can you explain to me uh, what's unfolding here? People who are protesting in support of peace to end the onslaught of the killing of innocent men, women, and children, um, that's something that all Americans should be supportive of. I don't know, you know, my value statement, I, I believe that no innocent man, woman, or child should be killed. I don't know who disagrees with such a statement. And yes, we in Dearborn are a little bit closer to what's unfolding overseas. Our family hail from these villages that are being wiped off the map as we currently speak. Um, and this is nothing more than a distraction of that conversation that we've been trying to have openly. So he, he did mention specifically um, uh, less than a handful of faith leaders in the community, and he took specific lines uh, in uh, from their 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 uh, passages or their teachings. Um, and it, it, it is the sense that these were taken out of context is the sense that um, that he was cherry picking specific things uh, from these faith leaders to paint a um, an untrue picture. What 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 do you make of the the citations that he uses from faith leaders in the community? I think that the uh, uh, the individual who wrote the opinion piece is very much trying to pluck and place as he uh, likes to try to inflame. Uh, as he did, to try to uh, cast a wide uh, uh, net on the whole city of Dearborn. Um, but if you also look at the Wall Street Journal, you know, this is very consistent with what they do. If you look at what just happened at the events last week, Chicago passed a resolution in support of a ceasefire. And what did the editorial board put out as their, as their headline? Chicago votes in support of Hamas. And so this isn't new, uh, as I was saying earlier. This is media malpractice. This is consistent with what they've always done. And it's important that we all condemn this and call it out for exactly what it is. This is fanning the flames of hatred and bigotry, of Islamophobia, and anti-Ada bigotry and sentiment as well. And it's made our residents less safe as a result. Yeah, and, and I was going to ask that. What, what, is the, what has been the, the temperature that you've taken from the community? Where, where are they at on this uh, that you've uh, been able to gather? You know, we've increased patrols around our places of worship. We are in strong coordination with our schools, ensuring our school resource officers are present. Plus, we have more park and walks uh, around these uh, third places, places where community members tend to congregate. Um, we're taking this very seriously. I mean, you saw a soar in the amount of vile rhetoric all over online and, and threats being cast towards myself or other individuals and places and institutions in the city um, that are just absolutely disgusting to see. Um, all of the direct results of this uh, inflammatory opinion piece that was run. There was uh, uh, obviously there's been a lot of pushback to the Biden administration. There was a rally held uh, just the other day as the president was was in the area uh, for a campaign event with the UAW. Uh, what is the, the sense among um, those in the Arab community, those in the Muslim community about the, the way that this administration has been handling the events in in Gaza and Israel? Very poor. You know, we had a president that promised decency and who promised to lead with humanity in the White House. And we have not seen that 
um, you know, on a, in a countless number of events, when the, when the president challenges the number of Palestinians that have actually been killed, when his spokespeople continually cast doubt on what's unfolding, or uh, emphasizing that the only thing that is promised is more civil, civilian casualties, when you see a cutting of funding to an institution that provides food and aid to 2.2 million refugees right now who are at risk of famine, um, who you see an endless amount of dollars being provided and military aid being provided that is wiping out whole neighborhoods. You know, we have a resident that came to a council meeting who had lost 80 loved ones. You know, what, what is your, what is the president's message to that resident? In terms of this, this movement to, to, to maybe move on from Joe Biden, those that maybe voted for him in 2020, but, but due to the, the, his his stance on the conflict, uh, they are moving aside. Is there anything that you've been able to gather that the president could do to, to reverse course on that, or is the damage done? You know, I, I won't speak to uh, the various campaigns that are ongoing and what people are um, anticipating for the upcoming primary election, but my message to the president um, is one that's very clear. Um, it's always time to do the right thing. We have, we have time and an opportunity to change course, to help save lives, to prevent the killing of innocent men, women, and children by calling for a ceasefire, by utilizing diplomatic means, which have been the only means that have provided uh, positive outcomes when we had a release of hostages of both sides. We want to release all the hostages, which I hope that we can accomplish. We can only do that through diplomatic means. We need an uh, unequivocal release of all hostages on, this, on both sides of this. Um, and diplomatic means is the way that we get there. Uh, this president has to change course. His language has to change because if you think of this opinion piece and and the climate in which it was written under, it, it is partly as a result of the rhetoric and decision-making that has happened in the highest office in the world. Mm. Dearborn Mayor Abdullah Hamoud, thank you for the time as always, and uh, hopefully the next time we talk it will be under better circumstances. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. Uh, it's, it's an interesting um, look into a community that, that, look, has been targeted once again. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the biggest problem that I have is, is, in, is, is in this piece is towards the end when it says what's happening in Dearborn isn't simply a political problem for Democrats. It's potentially a national security issue affecting all Americans. Counterterrorism agencies at all levels should play close attention. That, that, that to me is incendiary. I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that is incendiary talk at the highest level. To, to make an assumption that that a group of 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 people in a certain area should be looked at more than any other. I mean, I, I would imagine counterterrorist officials are keeping tabs on a number of different places all around the country. I, I can't imagine it's it's targeted in one place. So I um it, it is troublesome when you consider that that type of inflammatory talk. And look, we know that it's not just it's not just uh, the anti-Arab rhetoric that we're seeing all across the country. I mean, anti-Semitism is up uh, hundreds of percent. And so when you get this type of action, when you get this type of conflict overseas, uh, certainly it's it, it is it is inflaming those on both sides. I want to go to Mark and Milford here before we go to break. Hello, Mark. Okay. Hello. Hey, Mark. Yes. My comment is, in anybody in Arab world is thinking about the attack Hamas on Israel 
and they don't classify this like killing innocent people, innocent children, innocent women. Nobody talk about that, and they are trying to stop. Mm. Well, and the, the ways the killing took place, Mark. Pardon me? And it's the it's the way the killings took place on October seventh that are that are so yes, horrific, yes. that are so scary, that are so egregious. You know, but question is. They start the war and they expect the war will not, they will end automatically or they will think this will be going on and on. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think there's certainly a level of, I mean, I think there's a, I mean, I, with anything, I mean, I, I think you are able to overlook some things to say that, well, we need this instead. We need, we need less killings in Gaza. We need the bombings to stop. I think that's easy to say after you're looking at the rear view of October 7th. Mark, I got I to gotta take a break. More next. All right, so we'll take your calls on the Wall Street Journal piece. You heard the Dearborn mayor. By the way, if you miss any of our interviews, WJR.com, TheGreatVoice.com, you can check them out there. But I, I think that there is something to be said for for honest reporting of what is being said, what is being, what is being, what the message is uh, in different places around the country. It's also, I think, equally as important not to paint with a broad brush. I think it's equally as important not to put everybody in the same in the same box. I don't think that's fair either. But that's kind of what happened in this Wall Street Journal piece. And you heard the mayor, you want to weigh in 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. In the meantime, the Senate is convening on this this alleged bipartisan bill that would tie funding to Ukraine, Israel for for uh, addresses to the immigration issue, the illegal immigration issue. Lindsey Graham, the senator from South Carolina, says that Democrats need to give Republicans a chance to amend the new border security deal or it will fail to muster enough votes to advance. Graham was a proponent of linking border security reforms to the funding of Ukraine, but now says that the deal that was put out for uh, uh, now after months of negotiations need to be improved. He, here's my here's my take on this, and I know this is a classic political move, a politician's move. This is what they do to get bills through. Stop tying crap together. Honestly, enough. You think that this... This this funding to Ukraine and Israel is important or this funding to Ukraine is important. Then put it up for a vote. Do it. Put everybody on record if that's the way you want to go about it. If you think it's strong enough and important enough, then do it. If you think that addressing the the crisis at the southern border is an issue, then do it. Address it. Put it up for a vote. Stop watering it down with other nonsense. Stop. You, you want to know why people don't, don't trust what you're doing, don't like the business that you're in, they're pretty skeptical of your work? Well, that's why. Because you're just mashing. It's like, it's like when my, my boys play with Play-Doh. I got some green in this one, some blue in this one. They're just putting it all together so they can put it back in the tube. Put it back where it's supposed to go. For the love of God. <laughs> Just just put the bill up on its own two feet and vote on it. Then we get a, a, a real sense of where everybody's at. 
Maybe we can get a sense on where you're at in California, where you're at in North Dakota, where you're at in Idaho, where you're at in Florida. I want to know where everybody's at. Because everybody who goes down to that southern border, everybody, every politician, any special interest group, if you live down there, it is a problem. It is a problem. It is. There's no way of sugarcoating it. It's an issue. And so to to bury your head in the sand and to say it's not is disingenuous and, and not real. It's not it's not truthful. So I think I, I think that I I I'd like to see more and more people put bills up that stand on their own two feet. Plain and simple. Uh meanwhile, I, I do want to get this in and we'll get back to your calls. So Donald Trump was on with Maria Bartolomo on Saturday morning, what was it, Sunday morning, yesterday morning, and was asked about the state of the RNC, was asked about Ronna McDaniel and the job she's done as chair of the RNC. And I, I, his answer was so interesting. And I wanted to play the audio from what, what he had to say from the phrasing of the question and because there is a Michigan tie, not only with Ronna McDaniel, but part of the question with the Michigan GOP. And and his response, I want to hear you want to want you to hear what Donald Trump had to say. Listen, you talk about this optimism uh, ahead that that we could see some relief. But the RNC doesn't seem to be so strong. I mean, the Democrats have all the money. Look at what we see. We've got the Democrats actually uh, with the money and, and uh, spending it. The RNC seeking credit lines. The RNC reported its lowest bank balance at the point in any year in 2016. Comerica says Michigan GOP defaulted on a loan of half a million dollars. So. I have a lot of money, and the money that they get, people are not looking at the RNC. They want they want changes. I, you have to understand. I have nothing to do with the RNC. I don't. I'm separate. How's Ronna McDaniel doing? Uh, I think she did great when she ran Michigan for me. I think she did okay initially in the RNC. I would say right now uh, there'll probably be some changes made. All right. So some changes made now. I I think it's not quite, I mean, he's right. He doesn't have anything to do with the RNC. But generally, when you're top dog, you call the shots. <laughs> I think I think when you're top dog, you call the shots. And he's and, and look, she's right. The disparities in the the money at the RNC and the DNC level is pretty staggering. I mean, the RNC, uh the, the latest numbers from 2023 to 2024, uh, eighty a little over $87 million raised by the RNC, almost $120 million by the DNC. So much more cash on hand. But when you start talking about the, the Senate committees and the House committees and all of those issues, um, the cumulative Republican dough, $256.5 million, and 315.5 million for the for the Democrats. So lots more money to be spent by the Democrats. Now, so I don't totally buy that that Donald Trump has nothing to do with the RNC. Well, well technically he's right. Um he also is he, he's also able to call the shots as the top dog. It's, it's kind of the perk you have when you are the top dog. And so I think that there is there, the, uh, a, a lot in that statement that is very interesting, especially as it pertains to Ronald McDaniel. 
and the, I, I guess, at least from Donald Trump's perspective, the the lack of leadership or the lack of accountability or the lack of of fundraising ability, um, it could cause some issues for Ronald McDaniel down the road. 800-859-0957. Paul's in Brighton. What's up, Paulie? How's it going, man? Hey. Good to talk to you again. And hey, I just need to um, figure out why you think it, you can explain to me why it is better to not pass the immigration bill than to have something that works, it may work, or it's something along the, the route of something that works rather than not do it at all. Can you explain why um, you think that's better? So I, all I'm all I'm asking for are these bills to stand on their own two feet. Why are we tying it to Ukraine? What's the issue? What, what, why are we doing that in your mind? What's the point? Uh, you know, yeah, I'm not exactly. Well, my I believe my opinion is to have um, both parties can agree to that tying the funding to Ukraine. So it's something that a win you can get from win from both sides. Okay. I don't. I agree with you. I don't think it needs to be together. But my point is that people, mostly Republicans, are arguing about. Uh, we need to do something at the border. Well, we have something. We can do something now. They can do something, but they won't because Trump does not do it. Sure, there is that. There's no. There's no doubt that there's a political a piece to this, and it is an exactly. issue. Do, would you agree with that? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I yeah. think I, I'd like to think that that cooler heads would prevail, but Paul, that's yeah, not will. that's not the system. That's it's not where we're at today. The the reality is. Is they're going to play games, they're going to name call, they're going to finger point, and at the end of the day, nothing's going to get done. Now, is that preferable? Of course not. But on issues like this, in an election year, Republicans are probably going to do whatever they can to make sure Democrats wear that on the wear that badge of honor on their vest. They want them. This is a Joe Biden administration. They've done nothing. They've ignored, and look where it's gotten to. And I think that that's going to end up being the plan. Meanwhile, I mean, you're going to get hundreds of thousands of people coming across the border this year. It's going to be an issue. Um, real quick, can I go to Mark in Macomb Township? Real quick, Mark, what's up, buddy? Yes, I'd like to mention, I, I, I hear you speaking about the uh, issues in the Middle East, and you talk about we must not paint with a broad brush, mm-hmm. but we also must remind the people in the Islamic world that the problem exists from within the Islamic world. All of, ter- of the terrorist activities that have happened over the last 50 years since like the Munich Olympics in 72 have been perpetrated by, the- by people from within, this- within that world that seek to annihilate Israel. And-, and they call Hezbollah and Hamas are being referred to by them as their freedom fighters. And this doesn't seem to make sense to me if, if freedom fighters are-, are seeking to eliminate a free nation where they can actually go and live and have their freedom. But if they, if they do destroy Israel, what will they have? Will they have another Islamic dictatorship? This doesn't make any sense to me. I hear all this, this, this noise from, from Dearborn and all these people talking about double standards and moral equivalencies. They're, to me, they're just making excuses. And Americans are really tired of this game. And I know, like I said, I'm not painting with a broad brush. There are many Muslims that are sick and tired of the wars and the killing, and they want, sure. to, get, they want it to end. But, we, but we're never going to get rid of this problem unless we stop the people from within the, within the Islamic world from wanting to. Well, and Mark, I guess I'd have to really go and dig into t- 
terrorist activities and if they all come out of the Middle East. I, I'd have to look back. I don't have those numbers, so I, I guess I, I don't know that that's accurate. But I think there's something to be said with with not painting with a broad brush while still being able to maintain that sense of security and, and not demonizing an entire community. Mark, I appreciate the call. Thank you. 800-859-0957. Got to take a break. More next. All right, so uh, a couple of months ago, it was announced that Jim Leland is going in the Hall of Fame. And there was a question on what team he would uh, be representing when he went into Cooperstown. And now, Steve Courtney, we have an answer to that yeah, question. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, answer kind of, Chris, uh, first of all, good afternoon to you. This conversation brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Performance Remodeling, a preferred partner of the Inside Outside Guys, kicked off another $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Request your Windows Roofing and Siding quote today. Log into WindowsRoofingSiding.com to enter the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Um, yeah, Jim Leland, uh, clearly a fan favorite here during his stay with our beloved Tigers. Uh, and the fact of the matter is everybody knows he had an amazing managerial career, and it's all going to pay off uh, on July 21st, Chris, when he is inducted into Baseball's Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Uh, two or three weeks ago, we had a conversation uh, with Jim Leland uh, when the story was breaking that he was uh, Hall of Fame bound. And uh, look, he had a wonderful career to kick things off, managing the Pittsburgh Pirates, some amazing talent on that club. Uh, then he would go on to the then Florida Marlins, uh, where he would win a World Series championship. And I believe it was inside the first four years or so of existence for that franchise, the quickest to win a championship. Then he regretted the year he spent with Colorado before finishing his managerial career with our Detroit Tigers. Uh, some great ball clubs there, too. Um, now, uh, the question was, and has been, uh, when he is put into baseball's hall, what logo would be on his hat? It's kind of a tradition. Uh, the logo goes on, and you are forever remembered that way. Uh, well, uh, push comes to shove. Jim Leland did not want to disrespect any of the ball clubs that he has been associated with in his managing career. So he is going in with no logo at all. And you know what, Chris? I think at the end of the day, knowing Jim Leland a little bit, uh, making the right decision there. Uh, very cool. I, Leland's a classy dude and great manager. Well, Ken he Brown missed an opportunity. He missed an opportunity. To wear a Marlin on his No, to wear a Marlboro on his head. He should just put a <laughs> cigarette on his head. <laughs> oh. A lifetime sponsorship. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. He missed an opportunity there. That's a little inside good. baseball there, Kenny. It's good. So to speak. Uh, did you guys see this meeting with the NCAA uh, between the SEC and the Big Ten? Yeah, they're trying to uh, figure out uh, how to write what is a sinking ship in many people's opinions, huh? Yeah, with the NCAA, that, that pressures are mounting inside college athletics. The the conferences are joining forces on the, in this some kind of nondescript, uh, non, uh, I guess, uh, uh, I guess described way of what they're meeting for. It's just this no-name panel of leaders from the SEC and and the Big Ten um, to address issues 
inside the 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 world of college athletics. I think it's very interesting because Steve, we've talked about this before. I mean, the NCAA is basically meaningless anymore. Like they don't really do anything when they when they try to step up to the plate, they fumble it, and um, and to me, the NCAA has become a bit of a laughing stock. But I, I you know. <laughs> They seem to say, Greg Sankey with the SEC says, they're not trying to push anybody out. They feel like they need a national governing body. But but it, it really feels like these are the two power players in college athletics, and they're going to get together to maybe push the NCAA out. That's, that's what it sells to me. Well, you're talking about uh, the two most lucrative conferences in the country. And as we make our way to three or four super conferences, whatever the way this thing shakes out, uh, is the NCAA really necessary anymore? Um, you know, maybe behind closed doors, uh, maybe that's going to be something that the Big Ten and SEC touches on. Um, you know, what is there to sort out? Well, okay, there's the transfer portal. Uh, there's NIL. Uh, both are still gray areas as far as collegiate athletics go. And I think it's finally dawning on uh, a lot of folks, Chris and Kenny, Uh, that right now collegiate athletics is on a very dangerous and slippery slope. Now, what is going to be done? Uh, You know, you can meet all you want, but until there's definitive uh, recourse here, uh, you're going to be in the same situation now, two, three years down the road. Yeah, and maybe they're just setting the foundation for what they're going to do I saw a, uh, I don't know if you saw the senior bowl over the weekend, but there was a scout, I I believe it was on there, and he said how weak this draft was because after, like, the first or second round, all the players are going back to school because they can make more money more in money. school than being a third-round pick. You got a problem if you call that amateur athletics, and they better settle it and settle it quick because you're going to lose that whole thing of this being amateur athletics. Yeah. And then if it's a little pro, then why would you watch little pro when I can watch big pro? No doubt about so it. So they better do something. I think it's an and issue. And get that money situation handled and get this to where it's back to being as close as you can get it to – Amateur athletics. Stevie, good stuff. Appreciate it. We'll talk again tomorrow. All right. Look forward to it, fellas. Uh, enjoy the rest of the Monday. Yeah, huh? you got it. That's Steve Courtney. Uh, what do we got coming up today there, KB? Uh, we're what gonna are we have, doing? Uh, Cole Keith on. We're going to talk about the Senate. Yes, we are. We're going to talk about the Senate good. border deal. We're going to talk about um, the thing you were talking about, uh, the Wall Street Journal column in mm-hmm. Dearborn. And also we're going to remember Earl Curitan because we had him on just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, really? Yes, we did. So we might be pl- big replaying loss. some of that. It'd be a big loss. Good. Nice guy. Was he? I never got Very to meet nice. him, unfortunately. Very nice guy. And, uh, he liked you? Yes, he liked oh, me. Oh, yes, he liked me. Well, what a saint. That's right. So we're going to do that and talk about the great um, Pro Bowl games, which to me means that television as we know it is over, that you can actually televise something like that, and it can get ratings. Well, you know, the thing is um, – I think they had to do something with the game. I don't I mean, have a problem getting rid brutal. of the game, but I don't know is how this we're the replacement. I don't know how we're broadcasting tug of war and all this stuff. I don't know how we're doing that. Tug of war. There was a guy jumping in a pool and catching footballs. There was a um, some type of um, thing with a with a pulley car where they're pushing guys around. Yeah, it's the ridiculous. flag football game is cool. I can I nah, can go I for even, that. I don't even care. I mean, about it's that. okay, but the rest of that stuff is just ridiculous. And um, oh, you didn't see the tug of war. I saw the the Lions part of it. Yeah. Yeah, where they put Hutch in the beginning and Sewell, on Sewell the was there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, anyway. Uh, Brad Holmes also spoke today. I was going to cover it a little later. Oh, I'll tell you right now, 
tomorrow we'll talk that about that. That dude's keeping receipts. Well, yeah, but don't take it as he was being mean. No, he's not thought, being mean. Well, a lot of people come up with that. No, it's was, nonsense. It was we'll, we'll talk about we'll it tomorrow. We'll talk about it tomorrow. All right, it's going to be it for us. Mitch, I'm on the crew. Coming up next. See you tomorrow.